Welcome to another episode of the RAG podcast. And for those of you who don't know, the RAG stands for Recruitment Agency Growth. Since early 2019, I've been interviewing the most successful and innovative recruitment owners to learn how they rose to the top of their game. In season seven, I'm going to be having raw, authentic and insightful conversations with agency owners, entrepreneurs, leaders, people across the industry. And I want to be learning about their ambitions, what's happening behind the scenes in their agencies today and their plans to navigate difficult market conditions. I'll be bringing you the latest and greatest recruitment stories every single week on Wednesdays at noon across multiple platforms. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the RAG podcast on this week's show. I'm joined for the first time by someone who's unemployed. So, you know, I always interview founders and leaders of recruitment firms. Um, this guy, Kevin Freighter, is an absolute legend. This guy was, um, was at the Frank Group. Most people know Nigel Frank that became the Frank Group um, for over 10 years um, and left in January of 2023. Um, he started off in a role where he was doing like client development, having spent four and a half years with the Allegis group. And then he became a fixer. This guy would go to different client, different offices and, and effectively turn them around. First was London, then was Singapore. And then he spent six years in Germany where he walked into a team of 12 recruiters and six years later left with over 180 staff with one of the highest performing teams in the Frank group globally. And, uh, he went through two events with the Frank Group where he made um, you know, a lot of money. And, um, and he finished up at the start of this year to take some time out before he goes into his next, uh, next opportunity. And, and he is going to be looking to join, a, it looks like he's going to be looking to join a firm as opposed to launch his own business. So um, in this episode, we got into the detail of, of turning around underperforming sales teams or recruitment teams. We talked about his ability to let others do the hard graft, but what it took to be a true leader behind the scenes so that people could flourish. We talked about international travel, the challenges personally and professionally and balancing everything in between. Um, but we also talked about the growth, the rapid growth and what it takes to go from 12 to 180. So if you're a recruitment manager or recruiter that wants to get into recruitment management and grow your career by being behind the scenes, this is going to be an amazing episode. But also if you're a recruitment business, in need of a recruitment director, someone who's going to run the business and take international operations and drive a really scalable, repeatable model, then again, listen to this because he might be your guy. And if he isn't your guy, he's going to teach you a lot in the process. So without further ado, Kev, welcome to the RAG podcast. Super. Thank you, Sean. Pleasure to be here. Oh, well, we, we, we finally got here. When did we speak about this? It was about a month or two ago. Oh, God. Uh, it was a couple of months ago, wasn't it? At least. Well, Maybe yeah. March time, something like that. Yeah, I was it bored was. at home. It's gone fast. Playing around. So yeah. um, I've done you a little introduction, but it never does it justice, Kev. Do us a favor. Yeah. For the listener's benefit, just give us a little bird's eye view of who you are right now, and then we're going to go back and tell your story. Yeah, sure. Um, so ultimately, name's Kevin Pereira, 39 years of age. Um, as you guys can probably tell, I'm <laughs> from the northeast of England. Yeah. And I've spent uh, my career the last 16, 16 and a half years working in recruitment. Yeah. Um, firstly, with the Allegis Group mm -hmm. down in London. So I did four and a half, five years with the Allegis Group. And then the last 10 and a half, 11 years with the Frank Recruitment Group. Yeah. And your, how would you say your last role was with the Frank Group? Like, What was your final position? 
so the last the last six years were spent in Germany, um, starting out in Berlin, but I worked my way across the country to the likes of Cologne and Frankfurt, setting up operations over there. And um, yeah, it was a, it was an absolute blast. I loved it. I was only supposed to be there six months, Sean, and then end up in there six years. So, so you were meant yeah. to you were meant to launch a, a German presence, and you yeah. grew it to what what was the headline numbers you grew that. It, in the end, uh, in Germany alone, I think we had 170 to 175 heads, something like that. And then there was a further 50 to 60 people over in uh, uh, Switzerland. Although I can't take any credit for that, there was someone else who uh, yep. who kicked that on to the to the size it is. Um, I looked after Switzerland when I very first started. I had a handful of people yep. doing that, but um, the business found someone on the ground in Switzerland who could get that to the next level. Um, so yeah. That was that. 170, speak, 180 heads, something like that in Germany. Do you speak any German? A little bit, a little bit. Not enough. Geordie German. Bit of Geordie German. Yeah, imagine that. Imagine that. I'm told my uh, my German accent's actually very good. Really? Wow. Yeah. There you go. But, I always uh, think I always think Scousers sound a bit more German. Like, they a lot of ich in the <laughs> in the things they say, and they've got like a German swang, so they yeah. they should be good at it. But not know about Geordie. Yeah. Um, but look. Kev, the reason I wanted to interview you is like the Frank Group's one of those brands, right? I haven't interviewed the founder. I hope we will one yeah. day. Yeah. Um, but um, it's, it's a story I've not told from any, you know, I've not, I'm not told from yeah. any direction. And they're a yeah. business that the industry, you know, respects and knows. And yeah. everyone knows. Everyone knows. At my, when I landed in London in 2012, actually, I had three job offers. A company mm. called Venquist, a company called GCS, who I've also had on the show. Um, yeah. and, the, and Nigel Frank International were, were oh, really? my offers. Yeah. And, uh, Remember who you no, interviewed with? Oh, uh, I think it was a West Ham fan in London. He's, I'm sure his right, surname okay. was, I forget his name now. Yeah. Andy or something, I don't know. He's a really good Alex. lad. Really, re maybe Alex, maybe Andy. Really good lad. He's on King Street, I think, in, in London, um, right. in the city. And uh, yeah. the role was to recruit internationally, like Microsoft Dynamics internationally, sat on with a headset on. And yeah. at that age, and I didn't, I, I wanted to be out and about meeting people in London, so I turned it down. But the success of the guys in the office, I remember thinking, "Wow, if that's true, yeah. some absolute monster builders." A guy called Ben, who I don't know his name, full name, but he was sat in the room, and they were like, "Yeah, that guy builds a million quid." And I was like, "You look like, yeah. you know, look like butter wouldn't melt, but yeah. he really did something right." Yeah. Um, so you. Finished up. When did you finish up with the Frank Group? And I finished up with uh, FRG at the end of Jan of this year. Right, right. Yeah. Um, why, why, why are you not there now? It just felt like uh, time to move on. I've been there, like I said, 10 and a half, 11 years. I promised my fiance and the family I'd make this my last year in Germany. I'd said that about three times now. And um, yeah, it just felt like the right time to move on, do something uh, a little bit different. I'm not going to lie to you, looking at the, uh, the macroeconomic climate, um, I did think, you know, this is a good time to take a year off. So, really? Yeah. And you'd yeah. obviously, and, and you'd, you'd realize some benefits, right? There was a, yeah. an element of, did they go through an event that you managed to get, you had shares involved and, and you managed to realize some, some money from that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, when I first came on board, not long after that, um, Sean, Sean Frank Wadsworth, which is where the, uh, the name comes from. Yeah. Uh, he was the original founder along with Nigel O'Donoghue. Um, Sean did his first transaction, I think it was around 2012, with uh, LivingBridge, yeah, who were right. formerly known as uh, ISIS, believe it or not. Right. Yeah, wow. To very quickly change their names for obvious reasons. Um, but uh, first transaction was with LivingBridge, so I, 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 I got a small part in that. And then um, more recently, there was a, a sale to uh, TPG in 2016. Mm -hmm. So yeah, 
two uh two big events for the company and um yeah lots of beneficiaries so yeah and that must have give that give you a, a cushion i suppose to, to take a decision like this and take some time out yeah absolutely um i think it's fair to say the bulk of that money that i that i recognized out of the the 2016 deal went into my property investments in the northeast so yeah we've talked about this before i've got uh 16 properties that uh we we have as a side business so that um that helps pay the bills and keep things ticking over and uh yeah i, I you know frg in particular changed my life from a from a financial standpoint so um yeah put me in a nice position to to take some time out so here we are amazing yeah. well we'll get into all this so take us back then to the yeah. i don't want to go i want to focus on the frank group i think it's fair to talk about allegis yeah what what's the story there then how did you get into that business with allegis or with frg yeah, with allegis with allegis so how did i arrive with allegis um do you know what i actually was up at university in newcastle with a mate of mine um who i went through university with he's now the md of 20 ai down in london right. You yeah, might yeah, know yeah, I think you might have engaged with him in the past. What's so, the guy's uh, name? James Warren. Yeah, I met James yeah, about a year ago. On Zoom. Yeah, good lad. Yeah, top lad. So, mm. um, yeah, at university with James, we were approaching the end of our sort of final year. Neither of us had a job lined up at that stage. And That's we thought, it. right, we have to do something about that. So, I think we were in the library one morning or on our way to university one morning. And, and James recognized that there was a, a careers fair taking place down at uh, Manchester. MEN Arena, would it have yeah, been called yeah. that back then? It would have been then, it's not anymore. But yeah, yeah. it would have been called the MEN. So uh, we, we essentially bunked off university, skipped our lectures, drove down to Manchester to go to this careers fair. And uh, yeah. James found his, I found the Allegis group. And they basically said, look, fellas, we want to hire you. You know, both the, the conversations were, were very, very similar. They wanted to hire us, pick your office, where do you want to go in Europe? And um like yeah. one in a careers fair, did you have like a full on interview and shit? Like it was, it wasn't just no, a... no, no. Sorry, that that came the week after. So right, initial conversation, interview at the careers fair, follow yeah. up the week after. Did you have to go back down to Manchester then, or did you? Do yeah, it was uh, where, where where was the office then? That was in uh, Altrincham, I think. Right, okay, yeah. Is that right, just opposite the train yeah, station, yeah. the old grey building. I don't know if it's still there. Right, I don't. I, I know Altrincham. I don't know it that well, but I know it. I grew up near it. So yeah. you, you go back down to Altrincham, you get the job with Allegis, and they say yeah. go wherever you want in Europe. Yeah, we we want to hire. You. Where where do you want to base yourself out of? Yeah. Have There's you finished uni at this point? I finished uni at this point. Yeah, exactly. James the same. Hayes had a mirror image conversation with him, and uh, yeah, we, we were both young, single at the time. We said, do you know what? Let's go to London. If we don't yeah. do it now, we probably never will. So we uh, we headed down. Found a cheap flat in Shepherd's Bush yeah. um, on the Hammersmith and City line, which was easy for me to get around to Farringdon, which is where the Allegis Group office was. And that was it. There we go. How old were you at the time? About 22 or so? 22, 23, 22. Yeah. Yeah. So, how did your careers go? Because he's at A's and you're there. How did the trajectory go? It, it, again, it was identical. I remember us both doing our first deal at the same time. We both got our first promotion at the same time. Both got put into leadership at the same time. It was really, really weird. I think our first deals came within a week of each other's first promotion. Was he in a similar market? No, no, he wasn't. James was in, uh, James was in finance and I was in IT. I was, yeah. um, you know... Uh, punting out developers and BAs and project managers and all this sort of stuff into Canary Wharf and into the city and you know he was, was he was doing, yeah. doing his finance gig. Um, so yeah, so career paths very very similar. Uh, both I would say successful. Um, and uh, yeah, I loved the Leeds. It was a it was a great great company. 
um, completely obsessed about customer service. And that's what won me at the careers fair, you know, just how they yeah. talked about their candidates and clients. Yeah, they're, they're American, right? They're, they're huge in America, big on customer service. And it was just a, it was a company that made you feel cared about and wanted and valued. And I thought, right, great place to start my career. And I just kept, kept running with it really. Um, yeah, fond memories. Met Jim Davis at one point. Wow. Jim, Jim Davis was the, the founder along with Steve Bishotti. I thought you were going to say it's Jim Davidson. I you were no, no, not Jim Snooker. Davidson, no. John no, Snooker. Never met him. Uh, no. No, never. <laughs> John but, Berger, um, he's a fan. You know, that kind of epitomizes the company, I think. You know, mm. this fellow's a billionaire. He's He's got a company at the time, I think, seven, 8,000 employees. Wow. Revenue well into the billion, seven, $8 billion a year in revenue. And he was taking the time out to go meet people like me. You know, yeah, so I well, thought, that, what a great message. Yeah, you don't get there accidentally, do you? Like, there's those behaviors that people do that, that, that separate mm. them, right? Well, amazing. Yeah. So, so, okay, so you're there for four years or so. So, let's say you're 26 at the time ish. Um, yeah. What what happened next? And and did, did you and James <laughs> still live together at this point? Yeah, J James and I were still living together at this point. We actually bought our first uh, property together down in London, down in Newcross. Right. So, we moved from the west to the east. Um, so went down to New Cross. This is just, I think, was this just before the Olympics? Yeah, we knew the Olympics were coming. Let's try and make an investment, get on the property ladder, all that sort of stuff. Seemed like a good move right. at the time. Um, and, and, and it was, you know, ultimately, it was the right thing to do. Um, but uh, yeah, after four and a half years, I met my now fiance, Natalie, um, when I was getting one of my last haircuts up at the north, up in the northeast. I'd, I'd, I'd got home to visit my parents. Right. And, uh, yeah, she was working in a salon. I was uh, I was getting my uh, my head buzzed there, and um, yeah, we got talking, and the rest is history. So, what, so, so what what did that do then? It made you wanted to go back to Newcastle. Was it? Well, yeah, before that, I had a, I had a, a long distance relationship before that with a with a girl who was was in Manchester, and I was up in Newcastle, and I thought, you know, what? I'm not going to do another long distance relationship no. again. And my parents were getting on at the time. You know, I could see them needing more help around the house and all of this sort of stuff. And I just it just felt like the right time to go back. You know. Right. Um, otherwise, I'd, I'd probably still be there now, right? So headed back up. So to you did James stay in the house that you two owned, and you yeah, were there. exactly. James stayed right. in London, and he's still there now. Actually, he's uh, ironically just moved back to Shepherd's Bush, right around the corner yeah. from where it all started. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So Does he, do you still own that big uh, five bed house? Beautiful. Do you still own? Do you still own the property you bought originally? James does. I uh, I sold my half to James. Right. When I when Fair. I back. So, yeah, that's brilliant. That's good. Great story. So, so then, why why did you go and join the Frank Group? And I mean, they are the pretty much the dominant player in Newcastle, I believe. But. Yeah, absolutely. They are. They they still are, um, and and they were at the time. I think just starting to make a name for themselves in Newcastle. Um, and ultimately, it was it was Sean. It was his story from back in the S three days yeah. that that won me over. And um, made me think I've got to join that business. You know, it's exciting. If even just half of what this fella is trying to achieve comes to fruition, it's going to be a great place to be. So uh, yeah, I joined the business. Um, I was in a pure business development capacity at the time. So they had um, a, a really, really broad client base at, uh, at Nigel Frank and at the, at the rest of the group. But we weren't very good at the time with uh, repeat business, retaining clients and any of this sort of stuff. So my role, and this, is, this also appealed to me, it was an international role, um, was designed to tie those clients up, you know, get clients from the US, Europe, UK, and Asia Pacific region talking to each other and uh, making sure that we retain them and, you know, 
we work on the uh, the penetration of those uh, those relationships. So that was my first role for how long did that last? Nine, twelve months, something like this. Managing then, a managing a team or just no, I was just I, I was just there individually um, doing my thing. But my boss at the time was was obviously quite happy with what I was doing. The company was trying to grow really aggressively from a headcount standpoint, as FRG always has. And um, I had previous management experience from London. So he just started chucking a bit of headcount my way. Like, what can you do with this, Kevin? What can you do with that? Can you look after this team? Can you grow that? And uh, yeah, before I knew it, I had sort of 15, 20 people reporting into me um, after about a year, year and a half. So that was pretty cool. And then, um, yeah, he tapped me on the shoulder and said, look, can you can you come for a chat in my office? And I remember walking to his office behind him thinking, oh, shit, well, they're done. What's happened here? And uh, he said, look, I need you to go to London. We've we've run into a couple of challenges in the uh, in the in the contract office, and I'd really like your help, and so on and so forth. So, the very next day, I found myself on a train back to London, ironically, to start working with the uh, the contract team there. So, so how did that go down with your partner and your family and all the reasons you went yeah, back to Newcastle? It, it it was all right because I was essentially going down Monday to Thursday, right? right. I was uh, only there the three nights, four nights, some weeks. But uh, yeah, that was, uh, I think still is the, the, the toughest job I had in my career, um, turning that one around because, uh, yeah. So they ran into tell us what, uh, what, yeah, what did, what did you walk into? So the previous two, uh, previous two managers um, from that department had moved on in fairly quick succession. And I think the, the culture wasn't quite right in the office at the time. The guys down there, great bunch of people, like really, really top, top people. Um, had lost the way a little bit you know there's a bit of a distrust between them and the business and uh yeah so it was uh it was a big job and i think you know me coming from the northeast down to london you know that didn't sit particularly well with them and uh yeah my my way of doing things shall we say was a little bit different to theirs you know because I, I had five years with allegis you know they operated through a 180 model they were absolutely obsessed with um customer service and, and things like that whereas FRG were just just out there slinging CVs and you know trying to get to market first, which was probably the right thing to do, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so we had a bit of a clash of styles at first, but um, yeah, after a couple of months, managed to turn that around and yeah, it went you, really so, well at the end. Let's go into a bit more detail then. So what you yeah. walk in? How many people yeah. are there? Oh God, uh, let's say 14, 15 heads at the time. All right, and what level of what so, level so of people huge. are we talking? mixture you had a couple of tls you had a couple of consultants principal consultants trcs nothing major fairly right. small so you know, office of fenchurch street yeah right and and your what was the signs that they were underperforming though? like what was happening that obviously the, there's a bit of distrust but what, what was the issue well, the, just all of the typical sort of signs sean numbers were low productivity was low people weren't using the system as much as they probably should have been high number of levers relative to the size of the team yeah, you can just you can just see that people weren't doing the right things at the right time, you know. Um, so yeah. And you've how long have you been with the business at this point? So at this point, I'll have been with the business approximately eighteen months, something like That's that. You, but so you know how Frank Group works. I know how Frank got, Group works. Yeah. You also got more experience at Allegiant. So did you try and adopt to the Frank Group way of working, or try? Yeah, and I had to. Allegiant? I had to. If I if I didn't, I would never have survived because. Yeah. You know, trying trying to change the Frank Group's culture was going to be an impossible task. Sean had his way of growing the business. Super, super smart fellow. Like he's brilliant. He's one of the best. And um, 
you know, for me to go into FRG and think I can do it differently in there would, would be wrong of me. Um, so I had to adapt using, you know, some of the skills that I picked up at Allegis around customer service and, you know, how to tie relationships together and, and all of that sort of stuff. So, Are you spending hours on LinkedIn and cold outreach and want more business coming to you over your competition? Well, if you're the founder or leader of a recruitment agency, here's what we can do for you. At Hoxo, we'll give you the training, support and resources to take you from what I call an offline recruiter, reliant on posting jobs and sending in mails to open up new customers, ultimately looking like every other recruiter on LinkedIn, to being an online recruiter, being seen by over 25,000 relevant people, driving a 200% minimum increase in engagement on your profile and seeing daily lead lists from LinkedIn that you can follow up with in six weeks' time. And if you don't perform, you don't pay. Now, why can we make such a bold, results-driven promise like this? Well, it's simple. There's two reasons. Firstly, whilst I've been building the RAG podcast, we've actually done what we say we'll do for our clients. In less than two years, we actually built a business generating from zero to over 1 million views per month on LinkedIn, leading to multi-million pound revenues with a sales team of me plus two people without making a single outbound cold call. Second is our track record. Not only have we done it ourselves, but we've helped over 350 agencies and over 4,000 consultants do it as well, all in the last three years. Now, if that sounds of interest to you, click the link associated to this episode and we can book a call and tell you how we can help. Right, let's get back to the show. What did you actually do then? Let's go, if you can remember. And the reason I'm asking this is this is a really common problem, you know, whether or not... You, you start your own recruitment company, you, you come off yeah. the tools a bit, you turn around, your business is underperforming, you're like, fuck, yeah. I need to turn this around. Or, you you know, you're moving into new organizations. This is so common. So yeah, I want to get some practical ex- examples for people and advice. Yeah. So you walked in, yeah. underperforming for the reasons you've said. What did you do? Yeah. So I think the, the first thing I did was, you know, try to invest time in understanding what the problems were. Yeah. I didn't dwell on that for too long. You know, I listened to the guys, made sure that, you know, they, they felt I was there and they were able to come and talk to me. Um, and then from that point, I, I set about building a bit of a vision for the team. So trying to say to them, listen, this is where we are now, right? But we're all in it together. Things are not going how we want them to go. But, you know, we can get to here if we want to. Um, but it's got to start by being honest. We've got to be honest with each other. What do you like? What do you not like? Yeah. What do you like about me? What do you not like about me? What's working well for you with your clients, your candidates? All of that sort of stuff. Just had a completely brutally honest conversation with them to kind of get the elephant out of the room a little bit um so we did that and then what did they say that, about you sorry say again what did they say about you all, all only good like? things of course Sean. only good things they didn't, they didn't um, have anything they didn't like uh i can't remember if i if, if i'm if i'm completely honest i can't remember off the top of my head yeah. but uh yeah but there'll have been something at the time do you know what i mean it would have yeah, been yeah. you know what do you what do you know about running the contract division or something like this yeah. you know yeah. But um, anyway, had those had those honest conversations, and then I think the 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 next thing that I did was just to celebrate the small things. Let, let, let always got to lead from the front, right? But celebrate the small things, such as you know picking up job leads, setting interviews, all that sort of stuff, and start, start to show people a bit of appreciation for you know any amount of success that they had, no matter how small it was. Um, and it became quite infectious. Um, you know, the, the the guys sort of sat up a little bit, started to take note, and. They enjoyed getting a bit of praise and, you know, we had a couple of wins here and there. And the next thing, you know, it just started to snowball. Um, we fixed the relationship with the perm counterparts because there wasn't much interaction going on between perm and contract. So we sorted that out, got the guys talking again. And uh, yeah, before you know it, it was record after record after record. We got them, 
over 100 runners for the first time onto 150 runners and yeah it just snowballed and it went well and you didn't have any like involvement in the market you weren't doing the client side you weren't jumping on candidates calls or any of that a little bit on the client side yeah because you know like i said you gotta lead from the front roll your sleeves up try and help them you know do the hard yards so i did a bit of that winning jobs and projects but uh no it was mainly down to them you know i think a lot of what i did and the benefit that i added were was kind of behind the scenes just getting people to do the right things um at the right times and uh yeah that was it when you say helping with the client side as well it was we i imagine someone else booked the call but the meeting and they were like we what did you in from a weight perspective like we got a director yeah or yeah yeah exactly exactly that yeah but you're not me. you're not running bd yourself you're just saying look no. i'm here and i'll i'll join you yeah this, exactly. is the bit, this is the bit i think i've always been bad at and i think a lot of recruitment leaders have been bad at is like you you become that superhero manager where you jump in and you take action and you you know you make things happen yeah you don't actually you're not allowing other people to to fail and to grow and you know, I, yeah. I think that was my that was my biggest weakness. Was was mm. I don't think I was ever good at what you're saying you you're good at, where you could actually sit behind it and let others win. I was mm. too. I, I wanted to, but my yeah. style was like, I'll fix that, I'll sort that, yeah. I'll jump, I'll show you. But then people never develop fast enough. I don't think. Yeah, I, I don't think you could operate that way at FRG because the headcount started to come thick and fast. You know, once we'd once we'd stabilised the office and the guys got back to basics and they started to have some success again. You know the pressure was then on to get some headcount into the business so in terms of you know getting involved in every call every client every opportunity impossible do you know what i mean yeah. so yeah it was a bit unusual and I, I would have preferred sometimes to you know be in more control but you kind of just got to let them get on with it and learn from their own mistakes right it's quickest way we learn through, yeah. through doing and making mistakes and what was the what was the what are the metrics you were looking at to know you were going in the right direction back then and probably took with you throughout your whole career. <laughs> Same thing, I guess everyone looks at, right? It's leads, jobs, and interviews. That's it. It's it's the interviews that get us the money, right? So, yeah. you know, don't worry about what deals you've put up last month. Just worry about the interviews you're going to set in the next 24, 48 hours. Yeah? yeah. And that's it. And every behavior should go towards feeding that. And, and that's yeah. it. And that's that, it. That's it. And it. You know, I had, a, I had a similar sort of story with Asia Pacific. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when I went out to there, I guess we'll come on to that in a minute. But the message is exactly the same. It's, you know, the, the money sits in and around the interviews, right? The more of them you have, the more deals you're going to do. But what about all the work that goes into getting the interviews? There's a lot of work that goes into that. So is that where yeah. your training all your training comes into play? Yeah, absolutely. That's where you've got to you've got to sit down, make sure that the processes are tight, make sure that the quality of leads are there, make sure that they're speaking to the right people. So you've got to invest time in getting into the database, make sure they're not too low down the food chain, not too high up. They've got to do you know what I mean? There's a there's a few things that go into that. As long as you're getting good leads, whether it be from candidates or any other sources, um, you, and you know you, you're genuinely doing BD when you're supposed to be doing BD. Now that was a long time ago, ironically, because we had another conversation about this, didn't we? But, um, you know, if you're doing BD when you're supposed to be doing BD, you should, in theory, be productive and you should be winning business every day, right? I think it's it's too easy, especially now, for people to have a little bit of success. You know, I've pulled a job and then they get up, they have a walk around the office to tell the mates about it. Do you know what I mean? Then they, oh, I'll have a little look over here and just see if I have got any candidates for it. Do you know what I mean? And, and before you know it, the rest of the people on the call list don't even hear from you that day, yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, and look... Take what I'm saying with a pinch of salt because I'm going back quite a long time. You know, the world's changed since then, but 
No, but I think the same principles still apply. So yeah. how did you get people focused then? So what was your strategy to ensuring that people didn't go and do that? And I, I know I'm guilty of that one. Like I've done something good and it's like, I'm up, I'm out, I'm having 10 minutes to myself, I'm celebrating and you've lost momentum. Yeah, I, th I think um, you've got you've to make sure people understand what the good and the bad looks like, you know. Hmm. Take the time out to understand what it is that they want to achieve personally, what they want to achieve professionally. You know, map out what do we need to get there. There's your red line. Okay, if we're doing any less than that, it's not so good. If we're doing more than that, we're great. We're all happy. And off we go. And then you wrap that around with a lot of positivity, high fives, hugs, beers, thank yous, well dones, some uh, some awards and uh, some prayers. And next thing you know, it just becomes really, really infectious. And yeah, that's what they want to do. They, you make they it sound so easy, Again? You, make it sound, you make it sound too easy, Kev. I do, don't I? Yeah. Maybe that's your that's your <laughs> skill set, right? Most people Maybe. being a being a recruitment manager is got to be one of the hardest jobs in, in in the industry, right? Billing manager is a nightmare when you're trying to do both. Yeah. And I, not that's not the every not every business will go to management. Like literally, at my last yeah. podcast is a guy who Hanover Group, and and they're really flat structure. And even as a CEO, he's still got a bit yeah. of a billing target, right? Yeah. So. There's some organizations that don't believe in management. They just believe in everyone's still a revenue generator. And yeah. it's about lead, coaching and leading. And then there's other businesses yeah. like the Frank Group and Faden. And yeah. to be honest, the ones that have grown real headcount, yeah, they, they typically have different levels. And there's a bit of a hierarchy. And there's people yeah. like you that, because you're constantly dealing with that inflow of new starters, trainees as well, not even experienced yeah. people. Yeah, You haven't got the time to do every, to do everything. Yeah, I, th I think that's it, Sean. I think um, you, you've hit the nail on the head there. It's the FRGs and the fans of this world that it makes it really difficult to lead and build when you've got that mm -hmm. constant stream of new people coming through. You know, um, without what that, you can justify it. But yeah, what, what was their methodology around internal recruitment? How often? How would they do it? Like, what was the in those days? What, what were the ratios they were trying to achieve? Ratios. Good question. Um, would be lying if I could remember way back then. But ultimately, the rule of thumb, we would never have more than 30, 35% TRCs in the business at any one time, right. training, recruitment, consultants. Yeah. It then becomes a little bit unhealthy. So we'd yeah. push ourselves as much as we could up to that point. Um, so whatever the, the team, the division, the office needed at that point, we would have an influx of trainees that would go into what we then, back in the day, called a boot camp, which was a really strict four weeks worth of training um, to get them, you know, prepared for doing the job. So the idea was when they come out of the boot camp, you, you, you as a manager, you've got something that's, you know, half polished, ready to go. And you've kind of just got to pat it in the right direction a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Um, right. So the, yeah, I call my, my branding training, the personal brand boot camp because I believe yeah. in that style. I believe it's a really good intense way yeah. of learning and yeah. you need enough. You can't have a boot camp in a day. It needs to be over a period of time. So you yeah. can put, theory into practice right yeah um, absolutely so would those would those boot camp members be already in a team and be half learning half doing or would they be in a training environment for that month and all the work they do is a training style mainly mainly learning for the first week so classroom based uh training um and then it evolved over time so back when i was in london what would have happened then i think it actually would have been two up to two weeks classroom training actually and then week three you would start picking up the phone, but yeah. during that point, um, you would be doing that still with your peers in the in the in the training camp, if that makes sense. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, 
Yeah. After week sense. three, week four, depending on the size and the ability of the uh, of the trainees in question, then they would kind of get released into the sales floor, which is when they'd sit with their team leads and managers and, you know, they'd learn on the job. Do you know what percentage of people you hoped, like, what was the rule? How many people were going to make it? Like, was there a line that you'd say 50%? An unwritten rule, you'd, you'd hope at least 50% were going to make it through, right? And make you some money somewhere along the line. If you could do that, then you were laughing, right? Yeah. Because I, I, I remember we were tiny compared to that. I mean, 50 employees taking on groups mm. of five and 10. Yeah. I used to feel it when people didn't work. Like I felt yeah. it. And my, my boss was like, Steve was ex hydrogen, bigger, bigger. I think it was, a, it was either at Robert Walters or Michael Page, Robert Walters. Mm -hmm. And he was like, um, You've got to accept the reality of those ratios. You've got to mm -hmm. be, yeah. you've got to be okay with that. So if you yeah. know you're bringing in 10 and four are going to make it, then yeah. you're yeah. going to get 20, you can go and get 20 or 30 and you're going to get 12. Or like, yeah. it's, 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 you, obviously, you're always trying to make that number better, but you've got yeah. to accept it. And I, I, I don't think I at the time was mature enough to get it and, 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 and I struggled with that. I, th I think junior leaders do find that quite challenging because yeah. they have a, you know, a more personal connection to the people that they're hiring. You know, they sympathize with them, probably have more in common because they're of a similar age. Yeah, they yeah. found something in common during the interview process. And of course, if you're a junior manager, it's a tough conversation to tell someone it's not working out or they, you know, yeah. they need to do more or they're not sort of, you know, pulling their weight, so to speak. So yeah, I can understand that. And I think I, I probably remember feeling like that myself at one point or another, yeah? Yeah. Um, so you, as you mature, you kind of realize that's how it's got to be. You got to get it. Well, what? So your international experience then started to yeah. kick in. And yeah. You said you went to Asia and then you spent most yeah. of your time in 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 Germany, right? So we yeah. quickly just just go over the Asian bit first. What? Yeah. What, so what that about? similar sort of thing, and and people laugh about this, like friends from the business and family and stuff like this. Again, my boss back in the day. He was happy with everything I'd done in London. Came along, got a call. Kevin, I need you to come and see me. And it was just an identical conversation to the to the yeah. conversation about London. This time, he'd invite me to his house. So I went to his house one Saturday morning. Um, he says, look, it's been Sean. a great Going to see you again? To Sean again? Or? No, no, this is not Sean. This is a fella called uh, Phil Bauer. Um, who, he moved on after the 2016 deal. He's uh, he's retired, living, living the life in right. Spain by all accounts. Good and um, yeah, absolutely good on him. And um, yeah, so invited me to his house. Kevin, happy with everything you've done, et cetera, et cetera. I need you to go to Singapore. Um, by that point, Singapore had started running to a few challenges, as had Melbourne, um, with regards to productivity. And um, yeah, I was like, all right, cool. Yeah, when do you need me to go? And he's like, next week. And I was like, are you serious? <laughs> I've never been to Singapore. I've never been that far east in my life. Did they need, and, a, uh, not need a visa or something to live there? Or was he just saying, um, I can't remember now. I can't remember. There, there, there would have been a visa requirement to, to sort of live and work there, but it was like, right, I need you to go on the plane next week. So within a week, my bag was packed and, yeah, I was waking up in a hotel in Singapore, getting ready to go and introduce myself to my new colleagues out there. Left the, the London contract division behind and, um, yeah, that was that. So, so let's go into, to... what year is this? Can you remember? This is, oh, God, 2014, 2015? Like so how do you how do you position this with your fiance that you know you've you've literally been been in London four days a week yeah and then and that feels when you're from Manchester Newcastle yeah. the north that's still far yeah. enough right bloody colleagues yeah. right get yourself home and then now you're like, oh, I've just gone a bit further love yeah 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 exactly how did that go all right 
look, I, I'll, I'll be honest with you. When um, when we had that conversation about Singapore, I said, listen, I'll do it. Yeah, I, it's, it's not something I wanted to, to sign up to. It's not something I ever thought about. But yeah. fuck, you need me to go there next week. I'll go. But just look after me. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. He said, listen, you will be looked after. We'll take good care of you. Don't worry about that. So, you know, I went on to the miss and I said, listen, um, got something to tell you. We're moving to Singapore. And uh, you're like, you're fucking joking. No, no, I'm not joking. When we go on next week. And that was she it. Got she got a job in Newcastle. She had a job in Newcastle at the time. Great relationship with her boss. Um, she didn't come over on the first trip. She came, I think, two weeks later. Yeah. Um, she had to work a notice and what have you. But, uh, yeah, she... She was uh, she was well up for it. She was just like, yeah, fuck it, let's do it. What did so she do? Off we went. Or what did she do at the time? Hairdresser. Right. Oh, you said yeah. She yeah, yeah, yeah. So she could. Did she go and get a job in Singapore doing that? No, she did. She didn't. She was, uh, you know, looked after the apartment, made some friends, and all that sort of stuff. Sounds great. But, yeah, that market over in Singapore is a little bit different to the UK for one reason or another. It would have been difficult for her to get a visa on the wages that they were. Yeah, paying. yeah. It just yeah. it just wasn't worth it. Um, my my boss at the time, Phil, he'd asked me, does she want a job doing TA for us out of Singapore? And I thought, oh, I don't know how I feel about working with uh, my missus yeah, 12 yeah. hours a day and then going back to the same apartment and spending yeah. the weekend together. So we didn't do that. So. No, I think um, I look at the life I've got with my wife now. And obviously, yeah. I don't know if I told you the story, but most people know, like, you know, we dated when we were 24. We were both teachers with nothing. And then right. I went off to Australia and got a job in Melbourne and she stayed in Sheffield and had... She became, she was a teacher, I was a teacher, I got out of it, she stayed in it. And then she had two kids and then she left teaching, opened a beauty salon and I did all the things I've done and then we got back together a couple of years ago, right? Um, oh, right. And, and we, so I've got a nine and well, eight, nearly nine and 10 year old step kids and a baby on the way. And right, okay. I, I look at her and I think if we'd have been together pre-kids and had yeah. a proper, like she did, I know she'd have done those things, like she'd have been so open to yeah. going away and but we never we've never I, I always i'm always a bit envious actually of like yeah. the thought of saying to your missus like if they're up for it come on let's go and do it for a year like, what what's the worst that can happen it must have been yeah, exciting exactly and do, do you know what up to that point it always sort of gone through my career thinking i'll end up in the us one day so i didn't mm. expect to go east but we had, we had an absolute blast i was in singapore three weeks of every month down to melbourne for the last week of every month and it right. went something like that for just under two years right so what a great life, what a great opportunity. And, and in terms of what you did there, again, I don't need to yeah. go into the mass. I want to go into the Germany bit in a minute. But yeah. how would you do Was it a similar situation? Was it, was it similar sort of situation? Um, I, I think it was fair to say at the time, the APAC side of the business felt a little bit neglected. You know, there's different drivers over there economically. You know, it's a very fragmented market. It's it's hard to, to penetrate sometimes when you're just product aligned. And... Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it, it just needed some life breathing into it. So similar sort of thing to what happened in London, you know, try to get a bit of energy into it, try to speak to the people, understand the people, lead from the front, celebrate the small things um, and, all, and all of that sort of stuff. And, and away it went, it snowballed again. So. You're like the Pep Guardiola of, of recruitment, you. Yeah, they, they, I've, I've been called Jose a couple of times. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Sean Dyche, maybe. Yeah, Sean Dice, yeah. That's it's all about keeping people. It's not about keeping people in the league. It's about it's about higher performance, right? But yeah. you uh it, it, oh. again, that's another thing. I was like when I was leaving Venquist, and I know I introduced you to my old boss recently. Yeah. Um, you know, I was running their contract business and he was kind of 
he was definitely pushing me down the Guardiola. That he'd literally just come into Man City in 2016, and he's like, right, okay. he's like, you are going to be, you know, you could be our Guardiola, basically. You could yeah. be that guy there, and you could go and open an international office, and you could go abroad, you could go and work for someone else. Yeah, and, you yeah. can, and I think if you if you really master that management in recruitment, yeah, you can go and have this international, do three years, four years, five. Whereas when you're a biller. And yeah. you're a really good biller, and your your market actually changes you to a location or a, or an industry that you can't leave. Mm. So I had, you know, I was really. In, I remember being a bit, what's the word, a bit torn as to which direction to go in. I ended up quitting yeah. and doing something completely different in the end. But yeah. Did you ever think about that? Being like, actually, the role I'm in now was that a strategic thing that this role allows me to have a bit more flexibility over a career, and I can I can go and pick up a new job here, and I can. Um... Was, were you conscious of that? No, I, 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 I'll be honest. I wasn't conscious of that um, at the time. Um, I think I've, you know, I've, I've picked up bags and bags of experience with FRG now. I feel like, you know, I'd be confident I can go into any organisation and add value. No doubt about that. Um, but uh, no, at the time I probably didn't because I was just looking at the, you know, whatever it was that was in front of me at the time and enjoying it. You know. Yeah. Um, because of the, you know, the nature of the beast, how quickly FRG grew, and you know what the business was trying to achieve. Um, you don't really get chance to to stop and think too much. You just play forward and, and roll with it, right? So, yeah. But uh, it's the same Every, everywhere you go throughout the world. The recruitment process is the same. People will tell you it's different here and it's different there. Yeah, there's some nuances, but generally speaking, it's you know it's the same thing. And the, and the skills are transferable, right? Hundred percent. So when you came to Germany, yeah. When was that? And talk, let's go into a bit more detail about that. So, that was a six year play. Yeah, yeah. So out in Air Park, just under two years, um, we our little boy came along, Alistair, who's now seven, will be eight right. at the end of this year. That wasn't planned or expected. So that's what drove us to come home. We didn't have any family uh, family insurance. Yeah. We didn't have a support network over there or anything like this, mm. you know. And, um, you know, how's this going to work with me going between Singapore and Melbourne? It wasn't. So we headed back. And um, so I found myself back in the UK. There's a period, you know, I made myself miserable because I was still responsible for what was going on in APAC. I'd picked up some teams in the UK and uh, I'd even picked up a team in New York, um, which which needed a bit of help and a bit of love. So I was doing the three things and I was waking up on a morning, speaking to people in Australia, then going to Singapore. Then I had a European team that I was dealing with, then a team in the UK. And then when all that was finished, I had a couple of calls coming in from uh, New York. And at the time, it sounded great, right? Oh, I've got all this responsibility right around the world. But the truth it's, is, I just, made never me, off. I just made myself miserable. I couldn't switch off, you know, because the emails were just 24 7 and uh, calls and so forth. So I did that for a bit and I drew a line in the sand with it. I said, Look, I can't do this anymore. I'm not enjoying it. And uh, we got into a conversation about uh, me going to the, to the US to open up an office in the States. So that conversation had started. My boss has changed at this point. So I'm now reporting into Zoe Morris. Who I introduced right. you to. Yeah, 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 you did, yeah. You've set up a call with Zoe, but brilliant person, very, very good at what she does. Um, so I'm now reporting to Zoe. We had a brief conversation about the US, and then she she said, Look, Kev, um, how would you feel about jumping over to Germany for six months? While we sort everything out in America, you know, we could do with you breathing some life into that over there. So there I go again, off to Germany. Um, again, what was the conversation like this time? You've got a kid now. Slightly different. I've got I've got a kid now. Um, yeah, it was, but it, it was similar, you know, because it was it was only supposed to be a six month gig. We were going to go to the US anyway, so you know, what's the difference? Nice little project is, for six months. Is your son before he's at school as well? So there's a bit of flexibility. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So he's, yeah. he's easy to bring with us. Um, 
the conversation was uh, much more pleasant with Zoe, I would say, than than Phil. Phil was more like telling me that's where I'm going. Yeah, whereas yeah. I was like, can you help me? And yeah. So off I go to Germany. Um, how many people were there? A dozen or so. But they were they were they were struggling to find any sort of rhythm and, and, and get things off the ground. Were they Germans? Were they all locals? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mainly Germans, one Irish fella who's flown in Germany. Um, yeah. So yeah, got um got myself over there and that started to go well again pretty quickly. So I think that surprised a few people just in terms of how quickly I turned that around and got that uh, up and running. And uh, so Zoe turned around me and said, Look, Kev, do you wanna do you wanna stay there at the end of the year? And we'll just park the America chat. So we did. So we stayed there till the end of the year, and it just it just went like that. I just kept saying, "Yeah, I'll do another year. I'll do another year. I'll do another year." Um, yeah, six years later. So there wow. you go. So you, <laughs> let's talk about it. So you go in as a dozen. Yeah. And again, similar situation. Yeah. The performance, bit yeah. of lack of trust and consistency. Yeah. Was there anything different you did in that one than than in London and APAC? There wasn't. I'll, I'll point out there wasn't a lack of trust um, in in Germany. The, right. the, the Germans were absolutely fine when he arrived. They just, I, I think, struggled to find the right markets to work. Processes weren't up and running. They were struggling to have conversations with clients for one reason or other. Probably hired a couple of people that they shouldn't have, you know, all of that sort of stuff. So it, it, it wasn't as big a task as what I had it uh, in London or, or Singapore, but, you know, challenging in a different way. Um, so yeah, just got 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 that sorted and and got that pointed in the right direction and started to build a bit of an infrastructure to allow for that to grow. So did you notice there. any? I know you say the recruitment process is the same, but again, mm. I'm going off experience from. Yeah, I, you know, Venkwis had a German office. Plus, when I interviewed Austin Fraser, who've grown really well in Germany, the Pete, yeah. Pete, the founder said to me that yeah, actually they, they did. He said they did have to adapt their style in Germany. Like the BD approach that was quite aggressive in the UK wasn't really going well. Like they weren't getting yeah. the right responses. They they yeah. had to become more German. They had to learn yeah. and culturally adapt. Do you remember yeah. any of that? Yeah, look, the, 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 there are some some differences, right? Not major differences it's still recruitment at the end of the day it's it's jobs and it's candidates and the aim of the game is to to bring the two parties together um what can i say about the german recruitment market bags and bags of opportunity there yeah unemployment in germany is one of the lowest in europe i think it's in the in the in the bottom three uh along with poland malta maybe the czech republic i'm not too sure but the unemployment and, and and the need for candidates is right across germany every industry every skill set you name it right the the education system in germany doesn't meet industry's demand right and people are retiring younger etc cetera, etc cetera. so there's that there's a, there's a huge pressure on the on the workforce so it's a very job rich market okay so going out and picking up a job in germany is actually really really straightforward mm -hmm. identifying where the good jobs are and the worthwhile jobs are that's the challenge yeah, yeah. so you've got to be so switched on to that um from a from a process standpoint hr are often very much involved in the process out in germany they play a really really key role yeah so i can imagine if you're a british recruiter going into the german market you know things are flipped on its head a little bit you know the german market's not as competitive you've got access to loads and loads of jobs your challenge now is trying to find out which are the good ones which are the not so good ones you're probably dealing with hr more than you ever have the process is a little bit longer yeah but other than that, it's 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 pretty much the same, you know. And and so. what what did you? I guess what's your methodology for qualifying jobs? Then why would you? How would you go and look at when you're not even the expert? Yeah, like yeah. you're not the expert in the German job market. So you're going into a team and saying, right, well, let's go and evaluate your jobs. How 
yeah. what, what's but your criteria for that? Who, who basic sort of stuff? Um, I feel, I feel like I'm patronizing here because you know the answer, right? But I know, but I love, I love there's a lot of people out there you'd be surprised, mate, who, yeah, who run successful recruitment fucking companies and don't do this stuff, like they don't right, do it, yeah. Or, yeah. or unsuccessful companies who are listening, they're struggling yeah. and they're like, fuck me, I, I, I'd want to hear this, like, it, yeah, so we, we yeah, you know, fair but it's, yeah, it's you know who are they speaking to what's the reason for the need what's the impact on that person and that business of not filling that requirement in that time frame i think that's a big one which yeah. i did a lot of training on with the guys to make sure that they they understand that because if there is no impact on the individual like you're speaking to or the business how urgent are they going to recruit for that yeah. position they're probably not so understanding that is is really helpful um neil rackman spin selling is a really useful tool to to help with uh, things like that in Germany. Situation, like, problem, implication, need, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So understanding that and utilizing that particular methodology um, can be quite key. Um, and and you know, getting any sign of commitment that you can from them up front, and a commitment to engage not just with HR but with the line managers is also a good telltale sign. If the if the hiring managers, oh sorry, the the, the HR lead, for example, just look, there's a job spec, that's the salary, go and recruit to that. In Germany, it's probably not enough, right? Because there's, there's millions and millions of those jobs out there. You know, you need to go a level deeper than that and just try and push the client and test their commitment to work with you to, to get the job filled. I'm interrupting today's episode to give you a message from our sponsor, Recruit Hub. These guys have now had 70 founders launch on their business, the Recruit Hub, in the UK, US, and UAE since inception. One of these founders was Stuart Mitchell, the founder of Hampton North in the US. With experience of recruiting in both the US and the UK, Stuart is a million dollar biller and he formed the business to tackle the biggest problem he saw in cybersecurity, which is the talent shortage. Moreover, Stuart felt like he'd ran out of personal growth. He wanted to do things his own way and put his own spin on something, become his own business owner. His advice for anyone thinking about starting their own recruitment business is the old Japanese proverb. The best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is today. He said he regrets not doing this any sooner. It's a, re- it's a really low risk situation because if you're an exceptional recruiter, all you've got to do is back yourself. I, having interviewed over 250 founders on this show, would completely agree with Stuart that the best founders are typically the best recruiters who back themselves and build off the back of that. So if you'd like to find out more about the Recruit Hub and Stuart's story, you can read the whole story and the information in the show notes. Click below. Right, let's get back to the show. So how did that grow to 180 people? Like most companies don't grow to 180 mm. people ever. Never mind, in yeah. six years yeah. in a foreign country. Like, yeah. What would you say is the main ingredient I, for that rocket I, ship I, growth? I think firstly, the what I will say is I can't take all of the credit for it, right? Because I was I was blessed with a good team, a team that I was able to leverage from the UK. Previously, FRG had some German speakers in Newcastle, had some German speakers in London. So I was fortunate enough to be able to take a couple of those guys over with me. Yeah. Um, so that gave me a bit of a platform. And, you know, they'd been successful in their roles previously in those locations. So getting them on board and getting them into Germany really, really helped. I would say getting the business from sort of 12 to 50 heads, that 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 was brilliant, right? Because just left to my own devices, go out there, have fun, build the business. You can create that sort of siege mentality and, you know, everyone's having fun and, you know, they're going out and they're, they're having drinks together on a Thursday and a Friday evening. It was, it was an absolute blast. That was really straightforward. I think the hard stuff comes when you start chasing 
you know, the hundred head count and then getting over the hill and, and beyond that. Um, and that's where we needed a, you know, a really robust uh, support team, central services team to help us, you know, from a training standpoint, from a HR standpoint, all of that sort of stuff. We needed to make sure that the leadership structure was in place and people were in the right places to accommodate all of the headcount. But, you know, I remember back to your, your podcast with uh, with James from Storm, similar sort of thing. You know, we'd, uh, we'd have these uh, training academies take place, you know, sometimes 20, even 30 a month. Um, at one point, I remember when we really started the you know, put the put the pedal to the floor to to get Switzerland moved forward as well. We have thirty people across the DAC region coming in on a monthly basis to try and drive us forward. Um, Did your yeah. PNL have to pay for that, or was it invested centrally from the, invested uh, centrally? Invested centrally. Yeah. So that that makes your life a little bit easier. Yeah, so regardless of your performance, it's fucking coming. Yeah, <laughs> coming. yeah, exactly. Exactly, and you know, you you've got to keep an eye on the budget, right? If you if you weigh up your budget, the business is not yeah. going to continue to pump heads into it why would it um but at frg everything is kept super simple you know you've got your budget to work off of all your PL responsibility will sit centrally in the uk and something that you don't necessarily have to worry about too much uh, right. so yeah there you go what what was life like for you then so you said you know six months was easy to get across with the missus yeah and then out and then every year you're like you know another year yeah yeah this is so <clears throat> how, how did that go? Did she stay with you all that whole time, or not? Yeah, for, well, for the first couple of years, yeah, and then unfortunately, my my old man passed away unexpectedly um, in, in twenty eighteen, and um, Natalie was brilliant. She was she was a superstar. I mean, FRG were great as well. Zoe was fantastic. You know, they, I think I had sort of six seven weeks back in the UK to try and get my head around everything and to mm. you know deal with my uh, my sister and help my mum and, and all that. Get, getting everything in order, it's it's, it's difficult, particularly when it comes. You know, all of a sudden, it's unexpected. Yeah. So, um, yeah, my mum was still having a hard time of it, and there was still a lot to sort out. And Natalie, to be fair to her, said, listen, I'll stay back in the UK with your mum if you want. Go and get yourself back to work in Germany. Um, my mum sort of lives in the middle of nowhere, really, in comparison to where our family is, other family. Mm-hmm. So Natalie's brilliant. Still my mum. I went back to Germany myself, and that's when I started commuting. So I was, I was Monday to Friday um for the for the latter part of it and then of course covid came along so i was working remotely from the uk and then when restrictions so went, where, i was back what, traveling. just just to go back for a, a yeah. step there so you, you you said you remote you commute into germany so what was that a monday morning flight and like a thursday night flight you, or something? yeah but monday night friday afternoon monday morning friday afternoon right something like that yeah where from newcastle yeah, straight yeah. to germany where yeah they yeah, they used to do uh, flights direct to, to Berlin at that time. Is that where you were based, Berlin? Yeah, I was based in Berlin. Um, I think it was 20, 2018, we set up Cologne. I could fly to Dusseldorf from Newcastle, train down to Cologne, easy enough. And then um, 2021, we set up Frankfurt again. I could get there easy enough from Newcastle. But annoyingly, they did stop the direct flights to Berlin from Newcastle after COVID, yeah. which is frustrating. Yeah, yeah so I found myself in... Uh, in Cologne and Frankfurt, um, a, lot a little bit more often than Berlin. But you know, it's probably where I was needed a little bit more to to move the headcount on. So, see, going into COVID, then, yeah, where were were you in Germany, or would you? Were you I suppose well, you were coming over the week. Was it was it obvious when you were back home, like this? I'm going to have to stop doing this, or were you stuck out there for a bit? Uh, no, I wasn't stuck out there. I was I was in the UK, and I remember one of the guys calling me and saying and saying to me, "Listen, Kev, you know." shit's about to hit the fan with COVID over here. Like, 
you know, the way the German press are talking. So I, I, I wouldn't read the German press every day. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I would look at it once a week or something like this. And, you know, there's, there's bits I could understand, bits I couldn't understand, and I'd have to translate it and so forth. Um, but he's saying, look, shit's going to hit the fan here. Like, the guys are scared about going to the office tomorrow. I don't think anyone's going to turn in, you know, and I was thinking, shit, what am I going to do? So I remember ringing Zoe and blah, 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 and Marco, Marco Glasner's now the, the MD for Germany. He was on board at that time. And, uh, yeah, we uh, we had to quickly adapt like everyone did, right? And, you know, <laughs> get everyone a laptop and tell them that they could work from home and so on and so forth. But when that when that kicked off, I was in the UK, so I didn't get stuck out there. So right. my, my our old house, which I had before we went to Singapore, um, we were back in there because we, we, we kept a hold of that, right? We rented that out when yeah. we were away. Right. So we were back living where we were originally. So a business like the Frank Group, which I imagine yeah. was, you know, highly sales focused, quite aggressive, yeah. phone based, you know, in the yeah. office five days a week. Yeah. What what was the perception oh. of fucking working from home? I bet that was a bit taboo for you guys. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Bit... You know what? I, I, I personally didn't like it. I, I thought it was quite difficult. I, I'd much rather be in the office around the people, <laughs> at least see what's going on. Um, you know, the, the pessimist in me was like sort of scratching my head, like what are these guys doing, what are those guys doing? And, you know, you, you spend all day looking at the system, sort of checking up on people at first, cause you don't get used to, yeah, you know, yeah. the new way of working. Right. So personally, I found it quite difficult and quite frustrating, but I think my management team at the time, I think they did a brilliant job because the, the, the numbers sort of managed to sort of stay pretty much in line with where we wanted them. And I, and I think, you know, looking at, FRG globally at the time, Germany was a region that was probably less impacted than some of the others. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that the team there did a great job and um, adapted really, really well. So, yeah. so it's before the pandemic when you went through the sale in 2018, right? The sale, the, the last sale was 2016. Yeah, that was 2016. Sorry, yeah. right? Yeah. So, so at that point, you make a lump of cash. Yeah. And you start invest. You invested it in property. Did, did it? Be honest, like, did it ever cross your mind to go and just start, you know, Kevin Freighter recruitment and do your own? Yeah, of course it did. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think that goes through everyone's mind at one point or another. But the, I, I, I yeah, I just, I, I just never have. And I, and I don't know if I ever will, ever will. Mm. Um, I enjoyed what I was doing. I, I really did love the company. And I, um, and I think the company changed my life, like I said, from a financial standpoint. When I arrived at FRG, I had a, you know, a big mortgage in London. This is prior to sort of selling my half to James. I had credit cards, which I owed money on and, and all of this sort of stuff. And, you know, I've left FRG with a, a good stack of cash in the bank, 16 properties and, you know, a, a lot of other toys that I wouldn't have otherwise. So, yeah, FRG has been good to me. I, I can't. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if it's the Northerner in yet, but you, you make you do make everything sound simple, Kev. Like, you just like... Really? Yeah, like because <laughs> believe me, it's it, it it hasn't been simple, and uh, yeah, I've probably gone through the same challenges and pain everyone else has in the industry. But do you right? think, do you do you think people do overcomplicate things as well? I I definitely 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 think people try to overcomplicate recruitment, and I think the most successful people are the ones that just keep it simple and are layers of focus on what they need to do within the day. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Too many people. Um, I think get distracted easily. I've been guilty of it myself in the past, you know, when I was recruiting and I was a junior leader. But, you know, if uh, a, a junior recruiter can learn the art of discipline and just be focused in what they're doing, just keep everything simple, I think the, the sky's the limit. You know, you don't have to be the best salesperson in the world. You just got to follow, follow the process and 
yeah, do the basics well. Yeah, makes total sense. Yeah. So, when was the, when did you really start to think, you know what, like, I'm I'm coming to the end of my time here. Like, what was the signs for you that it probably was going to be a, you know, maybe a, you were going to part ways with yeah. the. Good question. I would I would say like Christmas time um, last year. You know the new budgets were were getting rolled out for 2024. Uh, sorry, 2023. Um, you know, I was looking at the market, conversations with the missus. Mike. Since then, I've had a daughter. She's she's now two, and you know, there's, there's two kids at home now. And I just I just felt it was time. You know, I remember Sean back in the day um, used to say it was you know you know you should never stay anywhere more than ten years. That's when you stop learning and you stop growing. And you know, so that that was in the back of my mind, um, and uh, yeah, it just felt like the right time. And I, 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 was, I was itching for some time off, right? I think I think I'd let my uh, my uh, my health and my fitness slide a little bit. So I was looking at that, thinking, right, you know, I can get my head down and and go and do some exercise. I can, yeah, just spend some time at home, and there we go. So you decide at Christmas, and you're out in January. Is that the reality of how quick it turned around? Um, Pretty much, yeah. The the FRG were good to me in the in the sense that you know they were they were flexible with regards to my uh, my notice period and all of that sort of stuff. I I think I gave them a, a professional handover and yeah, it was yeah, it was fairly 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 straightforward. Again, the beauty of your role mm. was probably you relied a lot on other people to do things. Right? Yeah, you weren't the man. You were not the driver of everything. So actually, yeah. taking someone out like you is you know relatively it can be, there's going to be some feeling and but but really that you've mm. empowered people well enough they should be able to step up That's the yeah I, I i would say so i think underneath me i had a, a leadership team a really solid leadership team that i think you know would do equally well without me you know that was also part of the decision making process i had no concern about the business falling down marco glasner i mentioned before md he's now fully embedded in the business uh paul hanley over in switzerland he's fully embedded in the business um, the guys are maturing all of the time and growing into their roles. So, you know, it did feel like the right time to walk away. I didn't feel like I was leaving anyone so high and dry or going to cause any problems for the business. And yeah, that was, that was it. Love it. So yeah. what's it, what has it genuinely been like taking a break? Like you've been, you've been working your absolute nuts off since you were yeah. 21 years old, right? Yeah. All over the world. And then suddenly it stops. I, no, uh, no phone calls. No yeah, do, do, do you know what? The first one to two weeks was strange, really, really strange. Like, I'm, I'm checking my emails. I haven't got access to the company emails anymore, but I'm still checking my emails, like, where they're all at. I'm looking at my phone every two weeks. Weird, really, really weird. Um, but uh, I have to say, I've, I've enjoyed every minute of it. I'm not in a rush to go back to work. You know, some of the some of the people you put me in touch with, I've had some conversations with those guys, and I've been honest with them and said, look, I'm not going to do anything this side of uh, the summer. Yeah. I'll speak to you again in September and October ready for next year and that's that's still the plan um yeah i've enjoyed it got myself in 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 better shape got my head into the uh into the property business helped the missus with that a little bit i'm out on the market looking for a couple of other investments and yeah that's that's where we're at sounds good mate sounds like you yeah. found you know you found what you needed so yeah. again the obvious question i have introduced mm. you to a few of my contacts um, yeah I'm not a wreck to wreck, and it's not, yeah. I'm not, I'm not charging for that. Yeah. I just think that you're a good lad and you've got an amazing track record. And there's people that like I know listening to this, it's gonna be, you're gonna get inundated now. You're gonna get so many right. people like, hey, Kev, love the rag, we want to chat to you about an opportunity. You're gonna get it, right? So let's just let's just tell them now 
Yeah. What uh, what is it for you? If anyone is going to bother trying yeah. to poach you or track you, what do you want? I I I, I honestly Half don't. A million know. pound a year. Salary. I don't know. I was I, I was um I was sat with uh, David Spencer Percival a couple of weeks ago in London. Yeah. He asked me that question. I said, "Look, sorry, David, I don't actually know what I want." Um. I, I, I'm open to traveling again. I think the big box for me that's that's still not been ticked is the American one. So I would love, before my kids get too old, to, to go over there at some point. But I'm just not ready for that now. So I guess I, I think I need a company that's, um, you know, got plans to grow, got some ambition. You know, there's some there's, there's some equity on the table um, yeah. that, I can, uh, that I can pick up. Um, a company where I can make a difference, which, you know, I'm, I'm confident I can do that. In, in in almost all cases and um yeah that's it mate I, I i don't know i've got to get on with the the people that i'm working with of course you know they've got to be my kind of people um met some good companies and you know all of those people i have no issues with but let's see i don't know let's see so would you see yourself working this year or is it going to be a 2024 gig you know? no I, th I think it'll probably be uh right at the back end of this year beginning of 2024 hopefully yeah. something local um, something in Europe to begin with, you know, and then, you know, once I'm embedded into the business, if they've got a, an American uh, presence, great, that uh, that keeps that door open. If they haven't and they wanted to set one up, then maybe I could go and do that for them. Something like that would be. And why, why is America, like, interested for you? What is it that you're um, trying to scratch? The, the, the market sounds great. Very, very lucrative. There's there's no denying that. Um, no, growing up, my uh, my my dad um, had a couple of opportunities to go to America, and he turned them down, and he always regretted it. And um, yeah, it had always been in my mind. I'll I'll go and fulfil, you know, what my uh, what my dad didn't do, and so on and so forth. So I just I'll, I'll end up over there one day. I'm I'm sure of it. Class. Yeah. Did you enjoy? You've been out in Florida recently. Does it when you're there? Do you feel like it's a place you can live? Yeah, I need to I need to find some alternative food though. You know. Yeah. I, I did not enjoy the uh, the American diet, um, so I have to sort that out. But no, I, I absolutely somewhere like uh, Florida, Texas, where it's warm, near a beach yeah. or a pool, that would that would be an easy sell to the to the yeah, to the a bit like Singapore area. again, right? Just, just yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I, think, like I think that I wouldn't I wouldn't move anywhere away from England if it wasn't going to increase my the weather. Like yeah, living in Melbourne, I'll be honest, was probably the worst place to go and live in in the fact that in Australia it's yeah, you do get decent summers, but it's it's just a fucking European city in Australia, really. Like, yeah. so you know, you remember it, right? It's yeah, coffee yeah. culture. It's it's not about the beach, even though there's there is one, and we never yeah. went to it. And yeah. I was like, why am I? That's why I left. I was like, what the fuck am I doing here? Like, I'm living like yeah, yeah. I'm in Europe, and I'm in I'm 23 hours away. So yeah. I literally, you know, if I went anywhere, it'd have to be drastic weather change, drastic yeah. lifestyle change. Yeah, um, I've got you know my kids. Have, I've got 10 years till they get to an age where I'm not taking them away from their dad if we ever did anything wrong. I wouldn't do that. So we've got yeah, yeah, I've I've thought I've thought loads about living abroad and Dubai has always been the one for me that I've wanted to live in because I love the location of it. You can get anywhere, yeah. one flight anywhere. Yeah. Weather weather's great until the weather's good here and I can come home. Yeah. I'm like, just perfect for me. And I know loads of people out there and tax benefits and stuff, but there's yeah. absolutely zero chance I can get anywhere with the lifestyle I've got right now. Yeah. No, I've I've thought about Dubai actually. That would that would be pretty cool. But I've never I've never been. Maybe I'll uh, I'll get a quick trip into Dubai before the end of the other. Oh, go and see it. Well, maybe wait. Yeah, wait till October, mate. Don't go before then. It'll be disgusting. Yeah. It's fifty degrees right now. It's <laughs> It's not yeah. fun. Anyone who lives there <laughs> will tell you. It's, the big sand pit is great for about half a year. Um, yeah. Yeah. No. A bit different for me this one. I, you know, I usually yeah. 
it's all about founders and growth and where you're heading and yeah. in the business they're in today. I don't, I don't have any. I think you're the first, first guest who's technically unemployed, which is quite cool. Um, oh, but you, what an uh, achievement! You know, what an achievement! Now you've done some <laughs> incredible things. I, I genuinely think you, you are, you are, you, you've got an ability to communicate really complex things. Dead simple. Um, mm. You've clearly got an amazing track record. I hope people listening reach out to you and want to talk to you yeah. about opportunities. Um, yeah. If you do, if you do, you got to let me know, and I will invoice them a hell of a lot of money. Just uh, <laughs> uh, now, we'll, we'll, look, I'll get you back on in the future. Wherever you land, we're going to get you back on. And yeah, let's take let's speak again in a couple of years, and I'll uh, I'll give you an update on what's going on and and how I found that. Maybe from uh, from the US or something like that. I'm sure you will, legend, mate. Thanks a lot. Cool. For All right, cheers, Sean. Thank you as always for listening to today's show. I truly hope that you got value from it. Honestly, it's the only reason I take time every week to ensure that my audience, you guys, future and existing recruitment owners, you're learning from each other to make this industry that I love so much stronger. And today's episode is brought to you by my business, Hoxo. I'm the CEO and founder, and we're on a mission to help brand recruitment agencies and their people better. I want to help people have the tools to stand out in the most competitive markets in the world. We're currently working with over 350 recruitment agencies and 5,000 of their consultants right now, helping them to build their personal brands to consistently win more business, attract talent, and just become that go-to recruiter in the market. Now, we do have a huge coaching program, but a lot of people don't know we also manage the brands of a lot of founders and we can do the rebrand of that company organizational piece as well. So if your recruitment agency either needs help to look and sound exactly how you want it to, or your leadership and consultant level need to get out there and drive more traffic back to that website, to the business and start using LinkedIn to generate more revenue, then you should definitely be reaching out to us. If that sounds of interest, please do visit www.hoxomedia.com or drop me, Sean, a personal message on LinkedIn. I love hearing from RAG listeners. I would love to talk to you. Uh, Look forward to it. So I'll see you again next week with another episode. Catch you soon.